0: Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello, and welcome to episode 144 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, and PR consultant, and founder of Vegan Business Media a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. Hello everyone, and I am joined today by Rachel Cook, and I'm just going to read Rachel's bio. Rachel Cook is the founder of The kind Way. She's a brand strategist, consumer intelligence expert, and data storyteller who brings decades of experience in the corporate sector to accelerate the growth of the vegan and plant-based industries. Rachel has held leadership roles at a well-established Fortune 100 retailer, a restaurant-focused market research supplier, a successful retail design firm, and several big-name advertising agencies. Her experience spans the food, fashion, and beauty sectors. Her data-driven, forward-thinking strategies have delivered strong outcomes for the organizations she's worked with, including growing the global sales of a multinational apparel and home fashion value retailer by 10 billion dollars. And Rachel has recently become a regular guest contributor on Veg Economist, the vegan business magazine, and she's working on her first book. Rachel, welcome to
1: the show. Thank you Katrina. So lovely to be with you and all your listeners. Thank you for having me.
0: No, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to diving into your expertise and it's so brilliant that you're you're now in the the vegan and plant-based space. So my question my first question is always about the why. So you've got these decades of experience in the corporate sector in consumer intelligence, brand strategy. Tell us about your why, and now you're, you're branching out on your own, you're launching your own consultancy business the kind of way, tell us why you're making that shift.
1: Well, you kind of warned me about this. This is the kind of thing I could talk about all day, Katrina, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, that joke about, you know, how do you know when you've met a vegan? Because they'll tell you. So <laughs> <but> seriously, <laughs> try to hold to be bold, be brief, and be gone. So I'm going to share three, <laughs> three points that led me. Uh, you like that one? I do. Yeah, that's a, very cool. <laughs> that's a good one. And um, so I'm going to talk about three points in particular that led me on my journey to the kinder way. So the first one is really going back to when I was actually two years old, and my mother recounts of how she used to push me around in the shopping cart at the grocery store, and how when we would get to the meat department, I actually would stop and and point at all the meat and say, dead animal bodies, which obviously was sort of shocking to all the other (laughs) shoppers. But it was amazing that I had at least some kind of consciousness at that time of what I was eating, and that, you know, the meat was animals. Um, And then, unfortunately, meat was sort of normalized uh, in my household so that, you know, until I was in my 30s, I was eating meat and dairy. And starting in my 30s, I really found vegetarianism for the first time and started embracing that. Um, But my next, you know, the second point on my journey was sort of a fast forward to 2018. And what happened then was I had been mainly vegetarian for so many years And I decided that I wanted to find some new vegetarian friends around the Boston area where I live. So I look up the meetup groups around the Boston area and I find this one that says, if you want to actually be part of our group, you need to watch a particular film. And I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the film Diet for a New America? I've heard about it, I haven't
0: watched it yet.
1: Yeah. I know it though, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's this its this hour long film, it's super dated. It's, you know, it's um, only an hour long, but it's that John Robbins story. So he's the one who gave up the Baskin Robbins empire because of the horrors of the dairy industry. And it's, you know, like I said, it's dated and all of that, but it was so, and it was so well before its time in terms of exposing the horrors of factory farming and the climate crisis and all, all the rest. But in one hour, I felt like I had this huge awakening, my eyes were opened, and I was basically vegan overnight. And then I was, you know, devouring everything I could find, I was watching all the documentaries, and I was, you know, reading all the books, and then I decided to learn as much as I could about health and nutrition on a plant based diet. And then I ended up at Victoria Moran's um, Main Street Vegan Academy last summer. And she's just been a wonderful mentor to me. So I know, you know, Victoria. Yeah, she's, she's just lovely, wonder- good she's yeah. amazing,
0: amazing person. Yeah, yeah, so
1: that's been wonderful. And so then the third light, the third part of my why is really about what the push was to actually start this business. And so, you know, I, I guess we've a lot of us had those moments in life where we've asked ourselves if their work and their life were aligned. And actually a friend just um, introduced me to a quote that I thought was kind of interesting to share with your listeners if they haven't heard it before. It's from someone named Lawrence Purcell Jacks. And he writes, "Um, the master in the art of living draws no sharp distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his education and his recreation. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence through whatever it is he's doing, and leaves others to determine whether he's working or playing. To himself, he always appears to be doing both. And to me, that was it. I was like, you know, I <laughs> nice. knew, I knew that uh, I to live a more authentic vegan life. Uh, I. You know, I had already created a vegan household. My kids became vegan. My dog became vegan. (laughs) I was volunteering for all these organizations I cared about. I was sort of resurrecting my love of singing and dancing and a lot of other things that were important to me. But I realized that I needed to consider how the work played into all of these other parts of my life. And, you know, starting when I was basically out of college, I was already asking myself, what makes people tick? So I already had this innate curiosity about people. And that had led me into this career around market research and brand strategy. But now I realized that I could apply all of those years, all of those gifts of unearthing insights and actioning those insights to organizations to be working with brands and companies that were fully aligned with my own. And yeah. those were vegan and plant-based companies. Nice. And uh... to me, the kinder way is informing you know and growing their businesses enough that they are leading more customers down the kinder way and I think that's what we all want we all want a more vegan world
0: brilliant I love that and I think it's such perfect timing as well you know you've spent all these years and decades doing that kind of work and the timing is just perfect now you know just literally you know particularly over the past couple of years and now you know because this sector is growing so much and you know we need your your kind of expertise so I love that let's dive a little bit deeper into exactly what you do so tell me what is data storytelling
1: Okay, well it's it's funny, you know, when I was thinking about this kind of question, I was thinking about Brene Brown, who many of your listeners might know. She's somebody I would call a data storyteller because what she is at heart is she's an academic, right? She's somebody who has spent many years conducting research. And a lot of her theories, I'm sure, coming out of her research are quite complex but she uses her platform to share her data in such a simple and straightforward way. And she tells these stories about this data to paint a picture for her audience and help them in her case lead a more authentic, more, you know, a life full of vulnerability um, and free of shame. That's a lot of what she talks about. And so for my part, I, I do something similar. I collect a lot of consumer data And that means that on one side, I am analytical, yes. But anyone who knows me would say, Rachel's not a data analyst. A data analyst is somebody who's kind of a data geek, who sort of geeks out at the actual actual numbers. I'm not that interested in the numbers per se. What I'm interested in is the power of that data. And that power comes from actioning it. It comes from translating it to a diverse group of, of stakeholders within an organization. And that that kind of power creates meaningful change within that organization, with customers, and obviously then will help more shoppers discover the kinder way. So that's what I'm after, is really being a translator and interpreter of the data to make it more meaningful and create change. I love
0: that. So basically, you're the Brene Brown of the vegan and business, uh, <laughs> vegan and plant based <laughs> business sector.
1: Yes. <laughs> our own well, Brown
0: yay oh thank you I, I would be
1: I would be absolutely honored to be ever called to Brown.
0: well there you go you. I reckon you are we've got our own that's brilliant that's brilliant well,
1: actually, um and, and before we go on I, I I could share an example if that would be helpful sure. how this okay. actually yeah. works as a storyteller so I led a segmentation study many years ago for this multinational retailer And we had learned a lot about the demographics and attitudes and behaviors of category shoppers, right? So sometimes people think that that data only goes out to a marketing group. And of course that is where we started, right? When we were taking this information on the road, and this was a very highly matrixed organization, we did start with marketing, right? And we presented this information, all this data, and it helped to inform a lot of the targeting strategies, um, a lot of the media planning, the messaging strategies, a lot of that. But then we started taking it on the road. And this is where story, data storytelling really came in handy, right? Because first we took it to operations and we tried to um, gear the data to in a way that would um, help the stores and the website be laid out in a way that would be conducive to shoppers' needs, Right, so it was a very different interpretation of the same data, and so that was uh, that was a great sort of outcome. Was sort of the, the 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 stores and the website taking on a new approach based on that data, and then we took the data to the merchants, right, and they're responsible for buying all the goods. So we were, you know, again using the same data but telling the story in a way that that uh, the merchants could hear it, where they were were asking themselves, "Am I buying the goods that this?" Type of shopper actually needs and wants. So it was again sort of um, flexing the data and telling stories from the data in order to support that very diverse audience.
0: Brilliant, which ultimately um, gets more customers and more sales for the businesses.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the goal.
0: Right. I love that. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. So tell us a little bit about the, the difference. There's quite a few terms that are in this kind of arena, like market research, consumer intelligence, brand strategy. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit, what's the difference between those?
1: Yeah. So that's a really great question. Cause I think a lot of people do get confused. I think market research is, I think of as a tool in my toolkit, right? It's, it's, a, it's a means to an end, but it's not an end in and of itself. So whether you're talking about massive online surveys or focus groups or very in-depth one-on-one interviews, even in a store or in someone's home, those could all be types of market research. And it does serve a purpose, right? It does illuminate the what, the what people do, and it illuminates somewhat the who, the who they are. And some... Some market research, I think, has gotten kind of a bad rap. It can be somewhat uninspiring, right? It can be price prohibitive, and it can also take a lot of time to complete. So I think, you know, there is a paradigm shift happening and I want to be part of that. So as far as market research goes, again, it's an important tool in my toolkit, but I see the opportunity with market research as being quick turn, you know, high impact, low cost. That's what I'm about where it comes to market research. That's what I like to do. But then, you know, I think the difference between a market researcher and a consumer insights person or consumer intelligence expert is that the consumer insights person can take that market research and take it out of that kind of dusty binder on the shelf take all the data out right as we're just talking about and really ask the why's and the how's why does this really matter and again why does it matter to each group of these stakeholders and how is it going to make a difference to our bottom line and so that's that's again what i you know what i would what i've aimed for in my career is to take those basic research findings and then turn them into implications for the business and the brand that will actually promote growth. But I think, you know, then the third level up that we that you just asked about was brand strategist, right, or brand strategy. And a brand strategist, a really good brand strategist, is someone that has honed this skill over years and has the capability to take lots of dif- different disparate data sources, right? So that could be everything from, you know, feedback from Facebook to you know to a um, to a huge segmentation study and everything in between. It could be anything uh, and everything that a customer is telling you. I've gotten great feedback even just from the the call center, you know, and customer service uh, feedback. that's that's terrific feedback too. And then taking all of those disparate sources and weaving them together into stories as we're talking about, and then synthesizing those insights, into what really becomes a holistic 360 growth strategy or multiple growth strategies for the brand. And that's that just gets super exciting because that's really beyond marketing, like we're talking about, that a brand strategist has the ability to really impact multiple functions within an organization, work cross-functionally, work cross-divisionally, and really be seeking to impact the, the business goals not just you know the the marketing plans and strategies so uh-huh. it's a it's a much it's a much bigger um, ambition and vision and so that's that's uh, that's what I've aspired to in my career and where I feel I have um, I've done some really great work.
0: I love that thank you for explaining it because I think that is important because yeah. sometimes with these terms as I say they you know, people can think well are they the same what, what exactly are they? So I think that's a really clear Simple explanation, which I think is fantastic mm-hmm. now, Thanks. a lot of brands they tend to focus on the sales data you know the the, the figures yeah. the numbers like you mentioned, or sometimes they might you know go oh we we'll, we really must refine our ingredients and we you know put a lot of attention on the packaging and, and obviously those things are important, we're not downplaying them, but I believe what you're saying is we need to go further than that, or brands need to go further than that, so can you just talk a little bit about that?
1: yeah, I know you and I talked a little bit about that so I'll, I'll break it into two parts, Katrina. first, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about about focusing on packaging and ingredients and then I'll talk about um, the sales data. So it does make sense that many vegan and plant-based brands, particularly in their early stages, are really focused on product development. you know that 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 really makes a ton of sense because that is their proof of concept. You know they have to make sure that the product is uh, is is successful once it's out there in the marketplace. but that's just it. Products are not static items on a shelf, right? They're part of this dynamic marketplace. And I think as I've talked to folks um, in, you know, in these companies, I've recognized that a lot too often they're looking at their product in a vacuum and not as part of all of the dynamic interworkings of a marketplace. So they might forget that, that the, the success of their product has to do with the macro conditions. So it co- could have to do with consumer confidence or discretionary income of their customer, right? Or it could have everything to do with the category implications, which are also quite dynamic. So new entrants new into the category, You know, what does their competitive set look like today versus you know next month? And then most importantly, they really forget about the fact that their brand is always in relationship with their shopper right? So it's not sitting alone. It's always, you know, you can perfect that product all day long, but who are you perfecting it for? You know, uh, the most successful brands are not just products they Um, they, they've, the, the products have actually, um, have, have grown into brands because those, those brands started thinking like a shopper. Right. And th- I think that's, that's what the, the bottom line is, is that if you can really put your finger on who is buying my product and what really truly do they want. And if you can truly answer the question, will it matter if I change my ingredients? You know, what does my packaging need to be? If, if it doesn't matter at all. If you can start to answer those questions and then move quickly beyond those functional benefits and start talking about other, you know, other aspects of your brand, then you've really gone from product optimization to full out brand building. And, uh, and that's where a lot of the magic happens. That's, that's where we think of all the big brands out there, you know, the, the Nikes and the Starbucks and all of those that we can start to to emulate. That's where we want to grow these brands. That's, that should be the vision. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's why to answer the other part of your question about sales data, that it's just not enough, you know, and so many plant-based food brands that I, I've spoken to, they're investing in um, this grocery, you know, spins data or Nielsen data. And it is a great validation that the product is selling. Um, but I often say that sales data is like looking in a rearview mirror. Uh-huh. And there, you know, do you, you know what I mean by yeah. that? Because, yeah, Because it's sort of, how can you f- possibly figure out from sales data, the all of the, all the dynamics of, of, um, of, of the, you know, of who's, who's buying your product, but also how can you possibly be predictive from that sales data? You can't possibly know what's next right? How do Mm -hmm. you actually emerge from who you are today in your product sales to who you want to be tomorrow? You know, does it, how could it, how could it possibly inform, do do you launch, you know, uh, new, new categories in the same, uh, new, new products in the same category, or do you launch in new categories, you know, or do you improve your product and why? Um, so it can't really answer any of those really deeper questions. Um, so, you know, I, I do. I do think sales data has its place and it's important, but you know, it's really not the end of the story. It can only kind of give you that top line view, uh, that validation that things are working okay, and yeah. then you really have to just dig in and ask yourself, how how can I continue this growth trajectory? And okay. that often requires further investigation into shoppers and some shopper insights yeah Yeah. i love what you said
0: about think like a shopper um because i think it's important for for business owners to to put different hats on It's similar for when i'm if i'm doing pr consulting or teaching someone how to do their own pr one of the key things i say to them is you've got to think like a journalist so you've got to kind of Mm -hmm. put yourself in that different position and that reminded me of that you've got to think like a shopper so i think that that's really great now you touched on some of these concepts and and a couple of other new ones or ones that i had not heard of called uh, favorability and permissibility, which are processes that the consumer goes through when they're in the shop, uh, you know, deciding which products to to take off the shelf and put in their cart. And uh, you talked about these in your first uh, debut article on Veg Economist, which we can link to on the show notes page. And you talk about how big meat is using these concepts to get customers, uh, you know, to to buy their products. So can you talk um, a little bit about these, just explain what they are and why it's important for vegan and plant-based brands um, to take them into account.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had so much fun writing this article for Vegconomist because <laughs> it was it was inspired by a report I didn't actually expect to find. It was um, it was a report called "The Power of Meat," available on the um, the Food Marketing Institute um, website. And as you mentioned, you know the report was basically highlighting a couple of these strategies that the meat industry is using. And they're, you know, they were referred to as favorability and permissibility. So, um, what my article sought to do was to give vegan and plant-based brands, some ideas for evaluating and increasing their own favorability and permissibility in order to beat big meat in order to win the game. Um, so, you know, favorability, if we look at what that means, it's really about how much shoppers like a product, but also how much they favor it over the competition, right? So um, as we just talked about, this could start with some of the functional benefits, like, you know, the ingredients and the quality of those, it could, you know, maybe it's the packaging, it could be the price point, things like that, those are important. But I think we also have to realize that a large percentage of the shoppers are also going to be comparing the plant-based or vegan product with, you know, with, with the animal-based alternative, right? They might be omnivores and flexitarians. And so how does your product stock, you know, uh, stack up with one of those animal-based alternatives? and how does the favorability then you know measure up how do how much do people like you and i think what's important about that is and what i point out in the article is that you know big meat has gotten pretty crafty with the way that they're serving up things that we would naturally take for granted in the vegan space things like you know humane treatment of animals or healthy and you know healthier all the health claims you could possibly want you know big meat is trying to, to claim all the same things. Um, and so it, you know, even sustainability, they've tried to make their packaging as sustainable as possible. So now that shopper is getting pretty confused about which one that, that you know, that he or she likes better um, when, they're, when you're really comparing to, to the animal-based ones. So that's when the second strategy of permissibility really comes into play. And so what I talk about in the article is that it's really important to to consider that second strategy too. So permissibility is more about how does the shopper allow you into her cart and into her home and into her body, et cetera, right? And this is when you have to think beyond all of those functional product benefits and think about how does that translate into emotional brand benefits, right? Right. I think, Ben, you really are asking yourself the question, how will my shopper feel when she buys this product, my product, versus all of those animal-based products? Um, And once you can really crack that code, you're able to fully capitalize on all of those brand benefits in all of your shopper touch points. And that's, again, how you elevate from just being a product on a shelf yeah. to really putting your brand on the map. So that's when it really gets exciting.
0: Brilliant! I love that. I'm just loving that you're you're bringing this knowledge, you know, that you've got from all these it's into the vegan and plant based sector. It just makes me very happy and excited. So <laughs> I'm really <laughs> loving this. So thank you. You well, so I it yeah,
1: accessible. accessible. I can yeah. Get- when I can get my book out there, it'll be just, you know, I'm absolutely.
0: Just, uh, Looking uh, forward that to the string
1: of these insights.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, I love that. Now, can you give us then a, perhaps an example of your days in the corporate sector? So how you actually did what you do, like your magic that you weave, like doing all of that, bringing all the data together and, you know, pulling out the stories and then making it um, a, a tangible result giving a tangible result to a business is there anything I mean look I think people listening um, might kind of think well you mentioned the the multinational apparel and home fashions value retailer you you know you helped to grow their their bottom line by 10 billion dollars I mean is there anything I know obviously you can't share any confidential information I'm not asking you to do that but yeah. is there anything you can say that can kind of just kind of give us a an idea of, of a couple of the outcomes you've achieved um, yeah
1: absolutely um so When I got to that multinational retailer that you're speaking of, um, they were already a $20 billion company, but they didn't have any consumer insights function at all. So my role was to actually start the function. So I built a vision for the function and I built the team and, uh, and it was very exciting because I was basically crafting what we're talking about, a very cross-functional, cross-divisional function that would actually aim to create change in what was quite a mature corporation. Um, And you know, I think part of that then was uh working across these different divisions. So working, you know, working in Canada, working in Europe, eventually working with Australia, um, was working with, you know, across the stores and with e-commerce. And You know, and I was really proud of um, of what my team and I were really able to accomplish in the almost seven years that I was there. Um, So I think, you know, one of the KPIs that we used was um, comp transactions. And uh, what does that mean? And that means that year over year that the register rang more times Ah, than it did the year prior. Right. So there were more transactions that year. And so we, by tr- by driving more customers into the store, more traffic, we were actually able to see a five percentage point gain year over year, which was quite a bit for wow. such a mature um, c- corporation as this. Um, we also saw by working you know, directly with store operations and um, and helping to inform, again, the layout of the stores and how the stores could be Working to um, to meet customers' needs in a in a better way, that that actually delivered a 17 percentage point gain in overall satisfaction. Wow. So that was over those six years. So it was um, there were there were KPIs like that that were sort of underneath that 10 billion, and a lot of that had to come from you know from working within the um, within the corporation, different different functions, different divisions domestically and internationally, but trying to touch as many groups as we could and deliver as actionable insights as we could along the way.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you for breaking that down because I know people are going to be sure. cute. When I first read that about yours, like, Wow! How did she do that? So, thank you for I- explaining. Yeah. That. So, this is great, and this is obviously good for, for brands that you know really kind of want to scale. So, let's um, take someone who, say, is an entrepreneur and they want to start a business. So, we're we're going back to sort of someone who's who's not yet started something. They want to start some kind of vegan and plant based uh, product type business. Can you talk us through the steps that they would need to take to create a brand that's going to be sustainable, and in what order?
1: Sure. Um, so, I think really the the first the first step um, I would say is to try to get any kind of of market data in hand, right? So they'd want to be able to see the landscape. Um, this might be the first opportunity for some shopper insights as well. Um, You know if they could get their hands on any market trends um the growth of different categories that they would be interested in in going into um and and then also some of the shopper dynamics for those categories that would be obviously really helpful as a as a benchmark and then the next thing i would say is that they should be seeking some custom data around the shopper demographics for those categories and then possibly some shopper attitudes and behaviors. So it could be something like, um, you know, how, do, how often are vegans buying those kinds of products versus flexitarians and omnivores if that kind of data is available. So that could be another opportunity for some shopper insights if they wanted to invest there. Um, and I think also it would be helpful at this point to get some base level awareness of different brands that are already existing in the categories and also some perceptions of those brands so that they could know sort of where they wanted to position their brand for success. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that would be uh, important. And then I would say the next step up would be to do all of the product development um, with a pretty good knowledge of who is the target shopper, right? I think that's really very important. And so as the kind of third entry point for Shopper Insights, I would say, test the concept, And then the product with the target shoppers and ensure that you've got the right taste and texture profile the flavor right um that you've got the right health claims the right price point and willingness to pay um, and any other functional benefits that would meet the shoppers needs and then make any kind of necessary tweaks to the product so then everything else would be going on at the same time right all the production and supply chain distribution packaging that's not really my wheelhouse but all that would be happening So then this go-to market strategy could be done, right, which I've done before, and I could certainly continue to do do more of that. But right before that, I would want, as as a kind of uh, entrepreneur and building my business, to understand how to quickly build brand awareness, because the product's obviously only as good as people can, you know, know about it, and it's being promoted. So I'd wanna understand how to build that brand awareness quickly and efficiently with with this target audience. And these days there are so many cost-efficient media strategies, as I'm sure you know, right? From mobile and digital and social um, strategies. So this is not actually a place where I would invest in Shopper Insights. I would just find a media expert who understands that target audience and those different channels well enough to be able to direct the dollars. Um, So the last last step, I would say, in really getting your, your product sort of like launched is really to figure out how to message it to the right target shoppers. And that's, I think the fourth opportunity that I would say for Shopper Insights because, and really even for a brand strategist to come in for a bit, because if you have that brand strategist, you can, you can talk about, okay, I, I, I believe in this product. I know all of its functional benefits but you want to make sure that what you're messaging about the product is not going to fall on deaf ears, right? That you're not just going to, there's so much out there, right? It's just such a cluttered marketplace that you don't want your messaging to be wallpaper, right? Mm -hmm. You really need it to be compelling and relevant and differentiated from the competition and to find that unique selling proposition in the marketplace. So all of that is about what's knowing what's important to your shopper. That's really what creates breakthrough and meaningful um, advertising that will actually attract eyeballs and create brand awareness.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important, particularly nowadays, because now that the market is becoming, you know, kind of almost flooded with, you know, plant based meats, plant based dairy. You know, whereas, you know, a decade or so, two decades ago, whatever, you know, if you brought out a vegan cheese, it would probably, you know, as long as it tasted pretty decent, you know, you'd have customers because the, you know, there wasn't much choice. But now, you know, there's so many high quality, amazing products coming out that you're right that you, you know, you've really got to stand out not only from the animal based counterparts but also from some of the other um, uh, vegan and plant-based brands that Absolutely. that are uh, as well that's brilliant so that's brilliant so that's for someone who's who wanting to start a business now what about an existing vegan or plant-based brand and i know you've touched on this a little yeah. bit with your work that you did with the multinational mm-hmm. um, but with existing vegan and plant-based brands they maybe they want to scale but they've they've reached a bit of a plateau in terms of sales and and, and market share uh, what can they do to yeah
1: yeah move that's the needle? really interesting yeah i mean obviously there's an opportunity to just take a step back, right? And reevaluate do am, am I happy with the products that I'm selling today, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, if you're if you're not, obviously you can re-engineer your products and, and improve them. You can launch products in a different category. Um, and and I would say you you might need some shopper insights at that point if you're if you're thinking about that, only because you want to make sure that shoppers will give you permission as a brand to launch in a new category that it makes sense to them you right. know to to be in that new category and that you are not having them scratch their heads and saying why why are they, why is that brand there that doesn't you know that doesn't really add up so i guess that you know that could be one approach but assuming that you are happy with the product that you're selling i would say there's at least 3 ways that shopper insights could help to actually get you unstuck and out of that plateau of, um, of sales and actually move forward. So the first one would be building uh, and leveraging your loyalists, right? So you have this group, if you've been, you know, if you've been uh, out there for a while that, that actually really love you, right? So I'd wanna encourage their loyalty and that could happen with an effective loyalty program, of course which some brands have already done well. Um, So I'd wanna look at that. And I'd also wanna talk with those loyalists to understand what they love about the brand Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that I could echo that out to some of those newer shoppers or some of those less frequent shoppers, right? That can also obviously help you get unstuck If you're, you know, if you're using everything that's great and and what people love about you and haloing out to those that that don't love you as much, right? (laughs) Um, And then, you know, obviously, you could also look for those loyalists to become advocates for you. So that could be about posting reviews or reposting brand content or even becoming paid influencers for you, you know, all kinds of things to just get them, get them out there and, and singing your praises, um, the next way I would say to get out of a plateau, the second way would be make sure that you are targeting shoppers that are actually going to promote brand growth for you. So this is kind of, I could say fishing where the fishing is good, but that wouldn't be a vegan mm-hmm. thing I'm to gonna, say. Yeah, so we to we'll, come so. up with a vegan we'll friendly that. version of that. <laughs> I know, exactly. So, but this this could be accomplished with what I was talking before, like a segmentation study of some kind. Um, This kind of segmentation study, for example, could give you not only the demographic profiles of who are the likely shoppers or the current shoppers of your uh, your products, but it could also give you some more details on their attitudes and behaviors so that you know how to speak to them more effectively in all of your touch points. And then kind of as a one-two punch, I would say the third way that Shopper Insights can get you out of that plateau is to follow up that segmentation study with a customer journey mapping customer journey mapping exercise and what that really is about is how do you intercept your target at all of the different points of their path to purchase so you'll quickly realize if you start thinking about who is you know who is my shopper before she gets to the store before she's looking at all of the different alternatives and all that you'll quickly realize where you know the most and where you might have some learning gaps, and that might give you some, uh, you know, some indication of where you need to do some additional research of some kind, even if it's sort of a quick hit study of some kind, just to find out um, how to uh, how to make sure that you are building that full path to purchase, and that and understand where you might be, um, where you might have some pain points and obstacles that you need to course correct for where people might be falling off. Maybe you maybe you do understand a lot about building loyalists and building advocacy, for example, but maybe you realize in that customer journey mapping that you just don't know a lot about how to go from people who are just aware to, of your product to actually building consideration for your product. Right. You know, maybe you need some more help at what you would call the top end of the marketing funnel. And that's, I think, that's where a lot of uh, a lot of brands suffer is kind of in that topper or, or middle middle end often as they kind of get they kind of get stuck. A lot of people might know about them, but they can't convert those people into becoming uh, actual shoppers yeah right yeah so now that's, that's really that's handy, so what I love yeah. about that
0: is it's taking the guesswork out of um Uh, you know, launching a product or getting people to buy it, you know, because sometimes I think brands just kind of go, oh, there's a space that this market or this category is doing well, we'll launch into it. Or, you know, like you said, they've been running for a while. It's kind of like, well, we're there, we've been there, we're doing all this and that, why aren't people buying? And I think what you're, the work that you're doing seems to take the guesswork out of that, which is what I I really love. So um, you shared some really great insights, which is fantastic. So in terms of, I know you've described kind of the work that you do, I think you've described that really well throughout this interview Tell us, who do you, obviously you work with vegan and plant-based brands. Um, who else yeah. do you work with? Because I can see that the type of work you do is going to be applicable to more than one stakeholder. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you work with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I plan on working with at least three types of clients. So one of them is the, the vegan and plant-based companies out there. Um, that would be a, a primary Primary um, part of my business. The second one is more traditional companies or corporations that are entering the vegan space and need some understanding of that customer, um, someone who is at least open to buying those vegan and plant-based products. So that would be the second type. And then the, the third one would be invest the investment community, investors, um, ad agencies, nonprofits, others that are maybe um, you know interested in this in this space and learning more about it, and uh, and just need that consumer intelligence to dial in in order to, uh, in, to in order to really make a make an impact yeah. in that space. Yeah, brilliant,
0: fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I know we've covered a lot. So, is there any just any final things you want to add, or have we?
1: Um, I guess you know, I guess I do want to say again that um. Uh, this is. It doesn't have to be that difficult. You know, sometimes I think that people look at market research or, um, you know, all of all of the all of what's involved in building a brand is being is being very um, very complicated, very complex. And it's it's not. It can be. Um, it can be very straightforward. It can even be as easy as mining data that you already have. I think some people forget some companies that I've talked to might forget that they're sitting on some valuable feedback and if they just have the right resources whether you know existing on their on their teams or whether they want to bring someone in to really evaluate what do they know already it you know it can be a very efficient process and then all that you know all they have to do is maybe fill in a couple of learning gaps and they've elevated their product by miles into really putting their brand on the map
0: i love it i love that so just to wrap up then as well as on veg economist which you're you know a regular contributor people can read your articles there and as i mentioned we'll link to the the first one Um, where else um at the moment and of course when your book comes out we'll, we'll we'll share that but in the meantime where can people find you if they want to connect with you if they want to work with you where can they find you
1: Yeah, I think the best, um, since I'm in the process of putting together the website, um, I think, you know, if you go to thekinderway.com, ultimately, you'll have lots uh, of information there. Right now, if you go there, you will be directed to LinkedIn and um, and to my profile. um, Or you can go directly to LinkedIn and just plug in The Kinder Way. And that will let you read lots more about me and about The Kinder Way.
0: Wonderful. We'll we'll be sure to put links to those in the show notes page. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, Rachel. I think this is just, as I, I mentioned earlier, I'm just so excited and happy that we've got people like you coming into this sector, bringing in all of that experience, all of that expertise. And, you know, using it to to help accelerate the growth of the vegan and plant-based uh, sector. So I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank
1: you, Katrina. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to be with you today. Thanks so much.
0: So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the work with me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.